0: Stories of Being is a series of conversations with a range of inspiring humans whose approaches to life each offer an important piece of the puzzle for how we go about creating the fairer, more balanced, connected and beautiful world we long for. Each conversation explores a new perspective on how we view success, connection, power and progress and offers inspiration and guidance as we collectively transition to more harmonious ways of being with ourselves, each other, and our shared home. In today's episode, I talk to Renee Lynch. Renee is a naturopath with a focus on women's health and fertility. I met Renee a couple of years ago when I was um trying to fall pregnant for the first time and really like her approach to uh health in the sense that she works with clients as whole people so looks at at everything from diet lifestyle exercise stress everything um and also that or I found when I started seeing her I, I found it to be a very empowering experience um as I was kind of taking ownership of my physical body and the way I felt in this episode we talk about foundations of good health um, the need for modalities such as this to sit alongside and work together with allopathic medicine Um, it's not about demonizing one or the other but rather knowing uh, what each bring to our health and well-being We also talk about birth, motherhood, and the power of slowing down. I was all over the shop in this episode, I honestly, like some of the sentences I'm talking or saying rather, don't make sense. Um, So please excuse that. Um, But yeah, Renee's awesome, I love her. Um, And I hope that you get something out of this and feel kind of excited about Yeah, your health and wellbeing afterwards.
1: So, I guess to start off, it would be really cool to kind of understand because I don't think I know this story of yours, but how you got into this kind of health and wellness space as a naturopath, and also how you kind of personally defined. Or define naturopathy and what it actually is?
2: So a lot of naturopaths have a big kind of health backstory and I wish I had something grand but for me it was always just a love of just general health and well-being. Uh, I can remember being a teenager and having like I'd go to the news agents and buy magazines on superfoods. No idea why. Such a random interest, but I just, I don't know, I just really loved it. Um, I had a mum who did a few kind of diets over the years and my sister kind of followed that for a little bit, but it was not ever really something that I was, I don't know, I never went down that path. And so, yeah, health was just always kind of there for me and I had looked at the naturopathy degree when I was about 21, and for whatever reason, life took me in a whole heap of different directions and then came back to it when I turned 30. It was just at a point I was working for quite a prominent um, business that was all about quitting sugar and kind of put two and two together there. And, you know, she didn't have a health qualification and there was a few other things that popped up at that time with um, health coaches getting into a lot of trouble. There was one in particular, her name was Belle Gibson, and she had a cookbook that a big publishing house had put a lot of money behind because she like healed herself with brain cancer through food. And it turned out that she lied about the whole thing. Like she didn't have cancer. Yes, that
1: really know. oh,
2: yes. Yeah, and it just shone this light. And I'd done a health coaching course and all of a sudden I was like, this isn't enough. Yeah. If I want to be credible, I need the degree. And so at, you know, when I was turning 30, Glenn and I were going on holiday to Hawaii, and I was like, "I need to study." And he he backed me. Obviously, took a bit of a financial hit, but he wholeheartedly supported me, knowing that this is a bigger goal, like the
1: bigger picture. So that's how I kind of got into this. And naturopathy natrop- compared to like nutrition or being a dietitian or you know a doctor, whatever it is, where does it kind of sit? Amongst that, and also, I guess, amongst like the bigger medical and, and health system, I guess.
2: Okay. So, we're considered a complementary medicine. Uh, we have a lot of tools in our tool belt. So, with, uh, with naturopathy, first and foremost, diet and lifestyle, you've got to get the foundations right. There is, you cannot out supplement a poor diet and an unhealthy lifestyle, it's, there's no magic pill. So we're always looking at the obstacles to cure. So if there's someone that's experiencing, you know, issues in their life, it's about working out what we could uh, improve, cut back on and take out so that they reach health more easily. You could put it alongside nutrition for sure. Uh, Naturopathy, in addition to the nutrition degree, we learn herbal medicine. And I suppose that's like, that's the magic You know, it's essentially plant medicine that's been used for thousands of years. So we have a lot of modern science backing the use of certain herbs for certain things. And then there's a lot of empirical, traditional use of herbs, um, which is, you know, really, you can't, you kind of can't put all of the focus on the science and discount the historical use of herbal medicine. So that's, I suppose, where we differentiate from nutrition. But, and every, I think the thing is, is that every naturopath will have a different way of practicing. But for me, the foundations are key. There's, you know, a lot of overprescribing happening these days, and it's kind of termed green pharmacy. So it's no different from, say, going to a doctor and getting prescribed medications. So if you are working with a naturopath, you're wanting to make sure that they are, you know, addressing all of the underlying causes and not just like putting out fires without addressing the whole person.
1: Yes. And is that over prescribing like herbs, but then also supplements and Herbs things?
2: and supplements. Probably more so supplements, yeah, for sure.
1: Why do you think that's happening? Is it like an easier?
2: Well, it's very easy for sure. And it's very lucrative. It's a, you know, the uh nutraceutical industry is incredibly lucrative obviously not to the extent of the pharmaceutical industry but you can make a lot of money off supplements and then I suppose then how we uh, like dietetics versus say nutrition so dietetics is a it's a whole other ball game so a nutritionist would not necessarily easily get a job in say a hospital system or a medical system whereas dietetics is in they will get employed within the hospital system however dietetics and dietetics is very much like numbers and you you know it's about the big macronutrients and not something that i'm necessarily into and how the medical industry sees me versus a dietitian is very different. So there's there would be a lot of hesitancy uh, with a doctor recommending a naturopath as opposed to a dietitian. Yeah, so that that's unfortunate, and maybe it'll change in the future. You know, the naturopathy has taken steps towards becoming a registered profession. We've taken a step in that. Now the minimal education, the minimum education requirement is a bachelor of health science, whereas previously you could get diplo- advanced diplomas, and certificates, and all of that kind of thing. So, it is now a four-year bachelor of health science degree, and that is the minimum education. But I guess it would be incredible if they registered us, but they could by registering us, they could then take away certain things us like certain herbs and the moment we turn our back on nature big big problems
0: well yes
1: and I think very generally speaking obviously there's more it's more nuanced than this but the more connected to nature we are the healthier we are that just seems the complete opposite to what actual health is
2: yeah, I see that more and more lately and you probably see it more and more online. You know, I shared something the other day about industrialised seed oils and how they're produced and how detrimental they can be to your health. They they are known to be quite pro-inflammatory in an already inflammatory society. Like we have more
1: inflammation than ever. Why do you think on inflammation? Like it feels like in the last couple of years there's been more, I don't know, conversation or awareness Around something like inflammation, why do you think we're also or that or that? Oh my god! Or why has inflammation become a bigger issue? Is it just because we're more aware of it, or is it because of it actually being a bigger problem?
2: I think we have so much more knowledge now, so maybe it was present, but I think it's just like a culmination of so many things. You know, we're exposed to so many more chemicals now, uh, not only in our air but on on our body like what we put into our body um the seed oil industry you know it is a che- it's cheaper like I kind of get that it's cheaper right it's cheaper to produce your sunflower oils and canola oils and you've got it's all of these mass crops as opposed to like a cold pressed extra virgin olive oil so I I get that but it's just unfortunately like with how much packaged food we have now and I guess you could also put it down to this is just like a a generalization but how busy people are how busy families are that we've taken a step back from actually making food from scratch so we go to the supermarkets and we walk the middle aisles and we put the packaged food in and I just happen to look on occasion when I'm looking for something to put in the trolley that isn't made by me and it is hard to find anything that doesn't have industrialised seed oils and I call it industrialised seed oils because I think we need to move away from calling them seed oils and call them what they actually are, the way they're manufactured. I just think it's exposure to, yeah, so many different things, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I know some incredible dietitians. Like I had the privilege of knowing the late Kate Callahan, who called herself the holistic nutritionist. Oh, wow. Sadly she passed from breast cancer a few years back, but she had said to me that she always had to be really mindful of what she would share online because she could have her license taken off her. Um, I know Renee Jennings who runs nurture the seed on Instagram. I've got her book next to me here. She's phenomenal. And she's all about um, preconception, pregnancy, postpartum, you know, children's health and the information she shares, which is research backed, so scientific, um, like she does a lot of research, is very sound and very balanced and supports her argument for whole foods and liver and eggs and Really incredible work, I suppose we need people like that who want to try and um work work the system and you know open their eyes, but then there are there's more of a traditional dietetic picture which is you know hospital based and I mean all we have to do is look at the food that's in hospital and know that it's not it's not health
1: no exactly, and that's where that's a place where it should be the most nutritious and yeah nourishing and it's sick care unfortunately it's not health care
2: and and then we you know with doctors and i say this a lot to clients when we have conversations when we're trying to you know get some pathology done uh, the doctors don't have a lot of time to spend with us these days you know we're rushing through a 15 minute consultation which and we're often you know it's often running late uh and there is a huge gap in their education i i believe and i could be wrong but from memory there's about a four-hour lecture on nutrition and like a seven-year degree and so i see that as a gap in their knowledge and then there's a huge gap in my knowledge i can't i'm i do not operate i can't fix your broken bones i can't do stitches but there's a lot of things that i can do so why don't we meet in the middle? and be okay with the things that we don't know, but help each other with the things that we do.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think like modern medicine or Western medicine, whatever you want to call it, is amazing at so many things, but it's not necessarily amazing at root cause or um, keeping people like healthy and vital, you know, because it's more management rather than, life-giving you know what I mean yeah
2: yeah so I a good example is I had a beautiful client come to me for an array of different things over the years and she had been told that she had stage one bowel cancer and when I saw her she had this long hair and the next time I saw her it was cut to her shoulders and I'm like what's the go she's like well I went to a gastroenterologist and I found out I have stage one bowel cancer and there was talk of you know chemo and radiation so I thought going to lose my hair so I might as well just chop it off and then they told me that it's not progressed enough that we can do chemo and radiation so they just said we'll just watch and wait that's true to me yeah to me that means it's not yet bad enough and there's nothing we can do right now so we'll just watch and wait and if it gets worse then we can do chemo and radiation and to me I'm like that is just absolutely absurd there's no kind of functional testing there's nothing like nothing like go away and try this or go and speak to this person nothing so she comes to me and we decide to do a functional uh, gi map so it's you know it's a stool sample it's 380 to 400 and it kind of gives us an idea of you know what's happening hmm. in the gut and it turns out that One of her markers for that's involved with like hormone clearance and um, yeah, recycling of hormones was like the highest that I was on the phone to the company and they're like, this is the highest reading we've ever seen. So basically any type of medication that this client had been given or hormone was just going round and round in her body. So I could see that her liver needed supporting and there needed to be some gut healing. So we worked on kind of clearing out estrogen and medications and, you know, like all of these hormones essentially and we were working on healing her gut at the same time Uh, and I also put her on this, uh, it's called Rybrax. I'm pretty sure it's shiitake mushroom extract. And it's been studied for cancer. It's a very expensive supplement. Anyway, she went back, I don't know, four to six months later and they did more tests and they're like, oh, there's no cancer. She, so she still checks in with them and makes sure that, you know. But, like, the, the, the fact is that she was sent away to get worse so that they could do something.
1: It's like a really simple question of asking, like, but Why? You know, so in that instance, she had this diagnosis, but yeah, that that was it. It wasn't like, but why is that happening? Whereas I think that's that's where the big gap is, I think, and that's where something where something like naturopathy fills that gap.
2: Yeah, naturopathy, nutrition, an integrative GP, a good dietitian,
1: and when you were talking about that, it it made me think of like when I came to see you, so. We'd been trying to get pregnant for, I don't know, eight months or something, and there wasn't anything wrong. But I was still like, yeah, I just want to go and see you, like make sure everything's just operating at an, an optimal level. And there are a few little things that I think you tweet with herbs and supplements and things. One of the things I felt after seeing you was like this sense of like power, kind of taking ownership of the situation and my health. And, you know, I think there's something really empowering about approaching health in this way, actually a really important part of, of health.
2: Yeah. Well, if you think about it, I, I feel like we are all so disconnected from ourselves and I don't, I don't know why we're kind of made to feel that way. where so disconnected from the fact that we have so much control over how our body works, like stress and the food we put in our body and, it, yeah, it's actually mind-blowing. And I now think that it's, you know, I'm like why are you not more connected to yourself? But I see it all the time in clinic, like so many people who just don't realise that, like, they're they're a whole body you know, and that they like they literally have so much control over it.
1: And I, I was one of these people. I would say it was probably in the last maybe four years that I I really am more in tune or feel more connected in myself and am aware of like almost how I feel like physically and how that's connected. But I, I do think that disconnection is massive, and it's disconnection from selves, from people, from even nature and I think all of that actually works together
2: yeah absolutely yeah disconnection from self and like symptoms and not realizing when you know like they actually you know their gut problems or their stress or whatever like they they can work on those things that's not normal or like period pain like cramping or heavy bleeding all of these things and they're just like that's their normal. So they never question anything.
1: And they don't realise that it can get better.
2: Yeah, because it might be all they've known from, from the moment they've, you know, had hormones start working. And and also I think, oh, you know, stress is, stress is massive. And I do see a lot of women who live in cities and I talk a lot about like masculine and feminine energy. Uh, and I don't think it's really something that people kind of, think too much about but you know i i see a lot of mothers or i see a lot of say women in business who are wanting to conceive and so they're wearing this very like logical thinking hat which i'm like if you're in your head it's general it's generally masculine energy or yang energy Mm -hmm. but when you drop into your body that's the feminine energy and it's not that one's bad you know it's about having the balance And I just think there's a huge disconnection of being in that feminine energy and that that's really where that connection to self comes in. So I'm always trying to encourage women to find ways to drop back into their body. So whether that's like, you know, getting out in nature or putting on some type of music that just makes you move your body, you know, without thinking too much about it, just cooking you know, like using your senses, really. I find that very feminine. So, yeah, that's something I see a lot as
1: well. Well, it's funny. That again, I was going to ask you that question. And this whole, when I was first starting to think about this podcast, initially the idea was all about the feminine and, like, seeing it as something that is actually number one, meaning, but also, like, strength and power. Um, and I think often it's not it's not seen as that it's seen as like soft and weak and meek and things like that and like you said there's a need for both in each person and I think sometimes you need more feminine sometimes you need masculine but it's it's changing how we perceive the feminine as to something that is yeah powerful
2: Mm. oh I mean all you have to see is a woman giving birth to know that the female is powerful
1: yes it's well, yes a hundred percent that I yeah that I think there is nothing more nothing more powerful than a woman bring like giving birth they're literally bringing life into the world
2: I, w- I would say that that is there's much more strength in that than there is testicles to be honest oh
1: my god 100%. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's why like uh, even the way that now we birth has changed is because there's a fear in that female strength, mm. you know. And a lot of like obstetricians and stuff are male, mm. and there's a real like, holy shit, this woman's like next. Ca- we
2: can't, now. well, we can't control her, yeah. Right? yeah, yes. But if we do control her, then there's more need for intervention and then we can control.
1: Exactly, because then they're kind of on top.
2: And that's fully stereotyping and not every single person's case.
1: No, as (laughs) a a generalisation. Yeah, yeah.
2: this book's really good for that. Ten Moons by Jane Hardwick Collins. Yeah, incredible because it does really talk about, you know, the the power really.
1: Birthing in any way I think can make a woman realise how powerful she is and I think it also like you can in that moment you can tap into maybe something or you can tap into that power that maybe you didn't necessarily have access to.
2: Yeah you need to be open to it because there's a lot of women that go into pregnancy feeling fear and that's all they'll experience.
1: Because I think there's there's no right way to birth at all and you know things happen and you know sometimes interventions needed but what really gets me is that from the get go sometimes not all the time but sometimes women are made to feel that they can't even do it you know so that they need something else and that's sometimes that's necessary but when that's kind of the how it's presented and that's how women feel from the get go i think that is you know just a massive shame
2: I was working with some midwives from the like the midwife group practice as like a consumer representative and talked about the way they talk to women so different uh, medical jargon I suppose and how it really needs to shift because it can often be so negative the way you know even uh, apparently they don't use it as much now but like um and it's just like slipped my mind. Geriatric, like geriatric pregnancy, you know, <laughs> like and what's that? I'm not 70. <laughs> yeah, <exactly.
1: laughs> yeah,
2: so apparently they don't use it as much anymore. But, you know, like that's just one extreme example. But there's so many, so many ways in which you can feel disempowered throughout different appointments based on the way they do speak to you.
1: And one of the biggest things of birth is like, but feeling comfortable and strong and all of that stuff. So, yeah, all of those little things add up along the way. And then, okay, so you focus on women's health and fertility. So why, have, were you always in that kind of niche or is that something that kind of you you narrowed down on and started focusing on along the way?
2: I always knew that I wanted to focus on women's health, but, I mean, that's so broad. so, so broad. Uh, I suppose for me it's about trying to make a difference in like a ripple effect way. And, you know, if you look at the health of a lot of children these days, it's quite poor. Uh, So if I can try and impact the next generation, then, you know, my job is done. And so by doing that, if I can start working with a couple before that, life is even created like how incredible is that like it's pretty it's pretty powerful Uh, so if I can kind of influence the quality of egg and sperm before they come together with their 50-50 DNA and create life then we're hopefully you know building a super baby that's going to have you know strong health and then you've got then you're working with the couple and making them realize certain things in their health that they all of a sudden want to address. And I find a lot of change comes when couples are wanting to conceive, whether that's like cutting back on drinking or changing the products that they're using on their skin, like they're just starting to become more open to these things. So not only are you impacting a future generation, but you're making changes within Growing adults who then speak to a friend and mention one thing, and then that friend changes that, and that friend talks to the next friend, and it's you know just this little ripple effect of small changes in people's lives.
1: Are you a uh, advocate for like, I guess, well, how would you describe it? Progress over perfection, like these small changes. If you can't do it all, that's okay. I say that because often sometimes it feels like you have to do everything perfectly for it to actually count. But a lot of the time that's not necessarily.
2: No, not at all. I mean, it's all about sustainable changes. You know, I want my clients to live this way and enjoy living this way, as opposed to it being like this black and white thing where they have to like ditch everything and, you know, only eat this way and only use these products. So uh, is it Maya? What's her name? Is it Maya Angelou? Is that she's got this quote: "Once you know better, do better." You know, so like if it if it's coming to coming down to like changing your personal care products and your cleaning products at home, use up what you've got and then start replacing things one by one, or you know, just start adding in some things or cutting. You know, if you're having three coffees a day, let's cut to two. You know, like it's it's got to be sustainable, otherwise it gets put in the too hard basket.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then, and I think as well, then people's like defences go up. Yeah, and so they they just become closed off to all of it.
2: Yeah, I'm not about diets. I'm not about fads. You know, I just want people to see the benefit of a whole food way of eating. Uh, So, like, I still I love pizza and I love a good burger and. You know, like life is about enjoyment first and foremost, you know. I believe that if you're sitting there and you're berating the plate in front of you, whether that's a plate full of really healthy food or a burger, the mind, like that takes over whatever's on your plate.
1: And and that makes sense with the, you know, like what we were saying before about the mind-body connection. If you're so, yeah, obsessed about it or consumed by it, then, yeah, that will... Impact your health if that's about like eating super super healthy or whatever it is, because mm-hmm. it's it's the stress aspect. You mentioned um like cleaning products and personal care products just before. What's why I guess is it important to think about those things and how they can impact I guess just like health overall or things like fertility.
2: So the beauty industry. It's an unregulated industry, meaning that they can put lots of different things in their products, and no one's kind of telling them, "No, you can't do that," unless you're say from somewhere in Scandinavia, where they have so many strict things in place, which is fantastic. Uh, But we have, like, there's, you know, things in products over here that other countries have banned for years. Mm Uh, like if if it's something that you're wanting to start investigating, there's an app called Think Dirty and you can kind of like, you know, scan a Mac product or type in Nars whatever or, you know, insert the brand and it will give you a ranking like green is good, orange is okay, red is ditch and it will bring up the ingredients and then the research of say what they're linked to. So we've got all of these products with all of these like colours and fragrances and chemicals and I think like on average a woman will walk out of the house with nine different products on her like from the beginning of the day. So, you know, if you think if you just you're in the shower, you've washed your body, you've washed your face, maybe they're two different things. Maybe you brush your teeth, you hop out of the shower, put on deodorant, put on a body lotion, Maybe you've got a serum and then a moisturizer and then an eye cream and then a sunblock, a tinted moisturizer, a concealer, mascara, lip gloss, like that's probably over nine. That's a whole lot of stuff going on to an organ that's super absorbent. Uh, and a lot of these, we call them endocrine disrupting chemicals, which in simple terms just means hormone disrupting chemicals because they have the ability to make their way into our bloodstream and fit into the different receptors that our hormones fit in and it can muck our hormonal system up. I find it really interesting that a lot of research in the past few years on phthalates and a lot of the big headlines are in regards to male, male health. So Uh, Dr. Shanna Swan, she did a PhD in phthalates and her estimates are that if we continue using phthalates in the way we are now, that sperm counts could be at zero by the year 2050 because that's how much they've declined in the past 50 years. And so phthalates are basically anything that smells that isn't from essential oils. So perfumes, lynx, rexona, nivea, Dove. Anything that has a smell, the smelly things that you hang in your car, the things that you plug in to your PowerPoints to make a room smell good, air fresheners. Uh, So anything that has a scent or any type of plastic that's flexible, that's bendy, rubber duckies in a bath is a good example or uh, like thermal receipts from shopping centres, really, really, really high concentration on those. And so she's come out with this, like, the male approach. Like, obviously it affects female health, but maybe it's more of a shock factor talking about it from a male health perspective because that seems to get a lot more attention. So we're talking about reduced testy size in future generations because of the amount of phthalates found in the umbilical cord, um, so decreased testosterone and Sperm counts. So, yeah, absolutely crazy. But this industry, like the phthalates and plastic industry, is a byproduct of the petroleum industry. And that is obviously far too lucrative to halt. And they would never want to admit that, you know, what they're doing is wrong. So, we're never going to get rid of these things, but it's just, I suppose, an invitation to do the work yourself in your home and take back a bit of
1: control so do you think change just generally do you think that comes from the individual rather than say you know industry itself, or yeah
2: nobody is coming to save you and that like I've shared stuff like that before and it seems quite doom and gloom but it's more of a uh, an invitation to kind of Take back control. There is nobody who's coming to save you, and this is like an extreme version. But somebody breaks into your house, and you call triple zero. By the time they get there, who knows what's happened? But if you know how to protect yourself, it ain't going to happen. They're not going to knock back on your door again. You know, like just simply, you know, you break down in the middle of nowhere, and you've got a or you've got a flat tire, and you don't know how to change the tire. Nobody's coming to save you. You know. And it's the same with your health. You need to, like, the petroleum industry is not going to stop producing all these things. They're not going anywhere. Nobody's coming to save you. So make the changes yourself.
1: And I think it's, I mean, it's slightly doom and gloom but also not at the same time because I think otherwise we just sit around waiting for change and like oh this should change and like that's fucked and like you know this is should be different but we're just sitting and waiting for something to happen whereas if kind of that mentality of no one's going to save you yeah it puts the power to yourself and that actually in a roundabout way is empowering
2: well yeah and that's I mean that's how I share it well I hope you know I hope it comes across yes it is a little bit doom and gloom I get it but it should be empowering because, yeah, like it is the reality. There is, like, you and your family and your family's health. It's on you. It's not on anyone else. It's on the way you live and how you feed your family and the things that you talk about in your household. And yeah, that's the reality. There's, yeah, the the government's not here to save you. The medical industry, you know, like they're not necessarily about health. They're there if you're sick but they're not going to tell you how to get better.
1: And just the way those things are set up, like for change to happen, it's like years and years and years, you know, because of four-year terms, whatever, you know. It's the runway to change is so incredibly long, whereas if you kind of take that back, you could literally start changing things tomorrow, you know, in small increments, but Mm -hmm. be instantaneous.
2: And it's easy, you know, like, so many other things to change are free. Like get out in nature, drink more water, get out in the sunshine safely, get better sleep. Like they're free.
1: Well, that's that's another thing I was going to ask you was vitamin D. So that's like a, a vitamin. I think there's some vitamins that obviously people know, like vitamin C and and things like that. But vitamin D is maybe a bit under the radar, but has is like hugely important for many things in terms of our health so it would be awesome if you could kind of chat through that like why it's important and then the best ways to get it i suppose
2: so there's a lot of people who say it shouldn't be called vitamin d it should be called hormone d because of it's important with how important it is for our hormone health um it's it's a building block for hormones but it's also incredibly important for our immune health so any kind of autoimmune uh, i see a lot of so much in clinic low vitamin d and getting told by their doctor that it's fine because it's within range so the anti-malarian hormone or amh which is the kind of test done for ovarian reserve which a lot of young women often get done by their doctor and it's very fear based because it makes them believe that they have low ovarian reserve, but actually vitamin D status can influence that. So it's, I mean, it's just so incredibly important, but if you think about how much, especially in Australia, how much we fear the sun, we've literally had so much fear put into us and yeah, listen, don't go out in the middle of the day and not kind of look after yourself but we do need sunshine we need sunshine so we need sunshine to be able to build up melanin in the skin which actually protects us from the sun but we also need sun so that we get vitamin d like if you're talking about where you get vitamin d from first and foremost the sun and it's about knowing your upper limit so i'm quite fair so you know 20 minutes or so for me is probably all I need before I'll put on a hat and put on non-toxic sunscreen. Uh, but, yeah, it's definitely important to know your upper limit and then, you know, put on a rashie, a T-shirt, a hat, whatever it is. Um, so, like, egg yolk is a good, you can get some vitamin D from it, uh, Cod liver oil, there's some naturally occurring vitamin D, and mushrooms are another one. And do you know how you increase the vitamin D in mushrooms?
1: Put them in the sun.
2: <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what you do. You know, like there you go. So it even works in
1: nature. Not always, but like we're saying before, so many ants are within nature, right? But that's also another huge one is the personal. Connection and community, and that the importance of that in our health.
2: Hugely. You just have to look at mothers who are trying to do it all when, like, you really do need more than just yourself. Never have I wished that I lived closer to my parents than since having children and just being able to have, you know, mum or dad come around and look after the kids so you can go out for dinner or, you know, work a few hours knowing that your children are cared for by family you know by someone who loves them just as much as you do maybe maybe cook you a meal
1: I've been thinking about motherhood a lot recently and like oh my god so many things but like I think one of the reasons and it's similar to what you just said but one of the reasons women or mothers are so say depleted or stressed or whatever it is is obviously you're caring for a human like you know, you're maybe not sleeping as well, blah, blah, blah. But I also think it's because in this day and age, often you have a child and that is being a mother becomes your main identity. And we often forget that we're like we're so much more than just one thing, but there's no room to kind or it's much harder to keep those other parts of yourself kind of nourished and in touch with those other parts of yourself, because like you said, you're just doing it on your own. But I think women need all of these different things. And obviously, you know, motherhood will probably be the prominent one for X amount of time, but yeah, we're whole beings that need to stay connected to the other parts of ourselves. And I think that's a huge part of, yeah, the depletion and the, Oh, I'm just a mom or I'm so stressed because I'm going back to work and, you know, like all of these things because it's not this yeah, nourishment of those those different parts of ourselves.
2: Yeah, my friend Naomi, who's a postpartum doula, she's been sharing a lot on this topic lately. Wow. Uh, she just released a, a webinar, I think it's like $22 and it's all about returning to work. And she shared some really incredible data which showed it compared like career uh, house chores and childcare and it compared the male versus the female and it showed the male's career basically up the top never really changed and then it showed you know the the female's career was up high and then she had kids and it basically plummeted and then maybe later in life it went up a little bit and then it was like the house chores so when the baby was born there was a little spike in the man's and then it dipped back down in the woman's it started neutral and then it just increased. And then childcare, uh, when the baby was born, the male spiked a little bit and then went back to normal and the woman's skyrocketed. So not only has she now got a life to look after, but she's got just as many, like more house chores than she did before, you know, and then we only have to look at how much a woman's superannuation gets hit because she's out of the workplace and uh, it's just so out of balance, so incredibly out of balance. And then you're looking after this life, you're making sure that, you know, they're healthy, they're fed, you know, they're getting outside enough. And she's shared a really good post on this um, the other day as well. You know, like they're going to the dentist or the chiropractor or whatever it is but you're not. And, and like what I try to talk to my clients about uh, is, you know, there's a reason why when you're on a flight and it's going down or they give, they give you the advice to fit your own oxygen mask before you help anyone out, before you help, you know, children or elderly because you're useless if you are flatlining. You're useless. Like you can't help anyone unless you're helping
1: yourself. And there's a real like martyrdom around or well, they can be i like okay so I backtrack sorry so I saw this post the other or someone posted something the other day and I was talking about how like his wife was so selfless or whatever and I was like that's kind of lovely but also not. Yeah. Like, no, no. like <laughs> no absolutely not
2: um Glennon Doyle's book is really good for that um it's in my boot because I'm I'm donating it uh I put it in Untamed. I put it in so many treatment plans because she literally says, "You know, we we have uh, we say that a, a woman is selfless. Like it's the most incredible compliment you can give her. But what you're actually saying is she has to lose all of herself to be like ranked that high. And I think that's very much a trait from maybe our mum's generation, uh, where it, being being selfless was what they did and it's not something that I want in, I don't want my daughters to see that. Uh, I want them to see me go to appointments or, you know, get dressed up to go out, not that at that point yet with the six-month-old, but, uh, you know, to in, be enjoying the work that I do and it's not I have to go to work, I get to go to work. You know, I want them to see those things because I'm their role model of what a, what a woman is. Yeah, I don't want to give it all up and them to see that that's what they have to do.
1: Well, I guess on that, like what do you, I, there's never a right answer and it's always changing, I think, as a parent or as a mother. But how do you see or approach the kind of the idea of the balance of motherhood and also maintaining that sense of self and putting yourself first. Or not first, but you know. No. Well,
2: well no, you do you do have to come first. Um this, I suppose like the small things are that uh, feeding myself first. So I like this is and I talk to my mom about this all the time. So if she listens, she'll laugh, but she would always go last serving up her plate always I'm like you cooked it dish that up and sit down and she still does it she still unless I really pester her to do it but uh, I'm very much about eating when I'm hungry and and making sure I have enough Uh, I try and do little appointments for myself like sauna down the road that kind of thing it has been tricky with his with Glenn's commute the part I think it's been two years he's been out at Parramatta and so he would leave at like four in the morning to go to the gym before work so there's no getting up and doing a class but even if he was to be at home he would be leaving at like 5 five thirty, and there's no class for me to do at that time anyway and he gets home at around you know 6.30ish, sometimes closer to 7. So that, that's that been really tricky. And it's, you know, I can't just escape and go and do a class. So I have to look after myself at home. So we have equipment at home that I can, you know, move my body. And I suppose like on the day where I don't have daycare or preschool for my daughter, it's just about taking it slow, going to the beach, as much for her as it is for me. And and I'll only do one big thing that day. I won't try and then cram it in by going out in the afternoon. And then balance in the way I work, like I'm only working two days and those two days are not like nine till five because that doesn't exist for me. I have to wake up and, you know, make lunch and drop, drop off to preschool. So I'm only working 9.30 to 2.30 two days a week and that's enough for me and I'm at home while my baby's getting cared for at home and it just feels right for where I am right now. I think it's about just realising where you're at in the season of your life and kind of adjusting accordingly. And right now I I am required to be at home a little bit more because I am exclusively breastfeeding and that is okay and not let my ego get in the way of how I want it to look because in a few years' time I'm going to have girls that are older and I'll wish these days back and I'll be able to do those things.
1: I think it's such a good point and, like, at the time it feels like it never ends and it's forever. (laughs) But I say this with, like, the sleep thing, like, Andy is not a good, up until recently she was still waking every two hours and she now only probably sleeps every four, she'll sleep for four-hour stretches. But recently I've just been like, okay, it might be like, five years say if we have another kid five years maybe longer of like not having very good sleep but really in the grand scheme of things that is not that much
2: yeah and when you have a teenager who may not want to talk to you you'll you'll be wishing for those those wakes where all she all she wanted was you it's just hard because yeah at the time it can feel very much like groundhog day
1: and then one last question for you. And you kind of touched on it when you were talking about um like taking it slow, you know, when you have both girls and things. But you're you seem to be like a big advocate for the like the power of slowing down just in general. Um I think especially in a world where it's always like hustle and you're a mom, you have a job, you have a side hustle, you know, like kind of have to be doing everything. So yeah I'd just love to hear your thoughts on yeah slowing down and I guess also the the power in that.
2: yeah, I think it comes back to that yin and yang energy energy and that masculine feminine and if we're always doing rushing going, that's that masculine energy and we end up so out of balance and we end up being more susceptible to burning out mm-hmm. because we're out of balance. Uh, I can't say like I'm definitely a work in progress. Like I, I really try, you know, it is a practice. It's, it's, hard, it's hard to slow down. It is so hard to slow down because we are led to believe that we need to fill our time with, every, with anything and everything. We can't even stand in, a, in, a, in the line at a grocery store without looking at our phone you know so I think it's just about trying to find ways to disconnect and be okay with doing nothing and being mindful of the things that you do fill your time with so sometimes like I love spending time in the kitchen but what am I if I'm in there too much what is it in my life that I'm avoiding like am I avoiding just sitting down and playing you know um, this is totally going off tangent but Yeah, I I think that because of the way our life is paced, we find it hard to bring slowness in. And so you have to work at it. A few months ago, I joined the Daily Rest studio by Emmy Ray. I used to work with her years ago. And what she's created is absolutely beautiful. So she's got like an online membership with a whole library full of different breath practices, restorative yoga, yin yoga, Uh, you'll only find a very small portion of, say, um, Mm faster-paced sessions, like a touch of vinyasa. But her thing is about rest and bringing rest as a practice into the everyday and taking rest multiple times throughout the day. Like there's enough research to show that it works. You know, like non-sleep deep breaths, yoga nidra, breath work—all of these things have shown to be incredibly powerful for how productive we are. So, you know, you don't—it's it's about working smarter, not harder, really. Yeah. So, I mean, that often goes into my treatment plans. I'm like, if you can, if you can afford it, sign up for this membership. I just think it's it's really beautiful to yeah bring rest as a practice in and and really sit with how difficult it is
1: oh my gosh Uh, yes I was well that's what I was thinking I was like when you actually start literally maybe just sitting on the couch doing nothing like no phone nothing that because we're so used to being distracted or like our nervous systems I don't think are used to that so it can be so uncomfortable initially because our body and minds are just not used to that stillness.
2: No. I mean, like you can even be laying there watching a movie and on your phone, you know, the second screen thing. But even just like legs up the wall, or legs on the couch, or legs on the end of the bed, how much body you feel it, you feel the energy and you feel the restlessness in your body when you should just be surrendering to rest she does um every month she does a full moon practice and I've fallen asleep a few times in it which I think is incredible because I do find it hard to really drop in and slow down but you definitely notice like your weak spots that's for sure but but I do think it needs to be prioritized because it's the only way like if if we're not in control of our breath if we if we don't get out of that chest breathing into belly breathing like our breath is the only thing that tells our body that we're safe that we're okay that everything's okay and to kind of switch from that sympathetic nervous system into the parasympathetic nervous system which is our rest and digest
1: yeah and that's fundamental to so many things so many parts of our health
2: breath is life right yeah even uh there's a lot of obviously we work a lot of on computers now and uh just take note when you're using your computer. It's very common to withhold your breath, and when you actually realize that you haven't been breathing, you know, or very like very minimally, like actually holding it. So just be mindful of when you're on your computer to stop, and like even if you have to set reminders in your phone to take breathing breaks or rest
1: breaks. Isn't that wild? Isn't that like. <laughs> Not that it's come to that, but that that's something some people have to do or that we have to do is to set reminders to breathe. Yes,
2: yeah. Or even like as mothers, and this is a really common one because we're doing, doing, doing. Again, that's very much chest breathing, but you might find that you put your child to bed at night and it's like the first deep breath that you've taken for the whole day because you've been so up in your chest you know being mindful of your breath and when you think about it taking a few belly breaths and really using that time to just kind of reset
1: it's so true and then once you actually do it you notice how different you feel or i it's just like a space and like a calmness
2: mm, apparently sighing is really effective yeah like letting out loud sighs very very interesting
1: yeah It's fascinating. It's a whole, yeah, it's a whole thing.
2: Yeah, and again, it's free.